0: So let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful this morning to you that you have called us together and that uh, as we gather, we can be confident that you have a good purpose for us to be together today, that you have things that you want to say to us, and we also long, O Lord, that you would show yourself to us. That we might uh, draw near to you and love you more. Change our hearts, Lord, not just our minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So uh, last week we talked about um, the importance of thinking of our marriages as having a Redeemer. And we talked about um, how having a Redeemer means that uh, there's a helper that we have for the issues and the struggles that we're dealing with, and that this helper loves us and has a good purpose for all things that we're going through. Um, That the story that he has written for our lives is a good story, a wonderful story. Um, though, of course, it has some real adventures, some difficulties that go in it, but as a whole, it is a wonderful story. Um, today, I'd like to talk about how having a Redeemer means dealing with sin. Of course, Christian, en- Christian marriage has an enemy as well as a Redeemer a lying and deceitful enemy who wants to fill our heads with lies the biggest of which of course is that we don't have a Redeemer and that we're on our own trying to figure this out and having to do this ourselves if he can get us to think like we have no Redeemer then we forget that he is our ever-present help in times of trouble, and pretty soon our problems seem like the big things in the room. Now, let me just explain that in case <clears throat> that is uh, you're unfamiliar with that kind of concept. That that uh, you know, people talk about who's the smartest person in the room, who's what's who's the biggest person in the room in the sense that what is the thing that's really arrests everyone's attention what is the thing that has the power to to trump everything else in in the room and uh and you know the lord is supposed to be always the big thing in the room the big one in the room that we are always aware of that he's that there's nothing that compares to him and uh and yet so often we um, you know our problems we're so focused on our problems it's like the Lord doesn't isn't even around or my, my uh, spouse's sin is so big that you know it looks like it's the big thing when in reality we only can deal with our spouse's sin when we see it in it's proper perspective that it's much smaller than the Lord's ability to change us and the Lord's forgiveness. And, you know, even the Lord's forgiveness of me and my sin. And so, um, you know, one of the perpetual failures in marriage is when one spouse lives Without consideration of the other. We all know that very well as spouses. What it's like when your spouse just seems to be living as if you're not even there. As if they're not even including you in their calculation of, of how to think of things or how to live. We feel ignored. As if we're not even married. Um, it's very common for one spouse... To feel like the other spouse just takes them for granted, um, and I'm sure that that uh, you know, all of us have have had that experience. But even today, I'm sure that people, even within the sound of my voice, could say that they feel like that right now. It's that common. But isn't it much worse when we ignore? the Redeemer, and we go on in life as if he's not there? I'm not saying it's no big deal if, if your spouse lives like you're not even there. But just in terms of humility, all of us struggle with living our lives as if the Redeemer isn't there. And that's much worse. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You know, um, it is possible to have Christianity without Christ in the sense that you have church, you have theology, you have all the trappings of Christianity, all the doctrines of Christianity, but there's no one there that actually is loving Jesus. There's no one there who's actually... humbling themselves before him there's no actually anything relational going on between God and man from man's side but you still have the Christianity so just as it's possible to have Christless Christianity and a Christless Christian it's also possible to have a Christless Christian marriage and that's what we're um, f- the first thing that I want us to be alerted to this danger because if you want a Christian marriage that is a marriage which is filled with Christ's help with Christ's presence with Christ's guidance then we have to cultivate a marriage that has Christ there in it and where where we are where we're our minds run to him and our and when we're in trouble we look to him and when we're receive a gift we we give thanks to him and he's not just there in an emergency but he's there for us on a daily basis and um, it is important for us to realize that when we're um, when we're when we have a Redeemer, He is able to deal with sin. Because really, sin is the problem in marriages, not circumstances. It's sin. And, uh, and so, and that's what the Redeemer does. He redeems us from sin. And so, when we see that what our real problem is, is sin, and not, you know, where's the painting going to be hung on the wall, Or what are we going to do on vacation? Or you know who's going to get the child up in the morning and feed him breakfast? Those aren't the real problem. The real problem is sin. And when we realize that, we realize that the solution is the Redeemer. So let's talk about that a little bit. Because there are two sides of dealing with sin. There's the side of dealing with our own sin that we might commit against our spouse. And there's the side of dealing with being sinned against by our spouse. So let's first talk about being sinned against by our spouse. So how does the Bible guide us in terms of how to think of our the sin that gets committed toward us or against us in marriage? Um, first thing is that we're taught to trust that God is in control that he works out all things for good so we have to we have to remember that that God has allowed our spouse to sin against us even though it hurts even though it's against his law yet he allows it for a purpose and so and he could have prevented it who, who, who of us could say that God couldn't have prevented our spouse from sinning against us? He certainly could have. The fact is, he gave us the spouse that he gave us. And for a reason. And that person's sin was part of the reason. Because that person's sin is a tool that God can use because there are things he wants to do at us. So... You know, he's got this, it's set, you know, talk about iron sharpening iron. There's like, um, both sides have rough edges. Both sides are sinners. And both sides' rough edges are tools for, that God uses to bring about the changes that he wants in the other. So the first thing is to accept God's sovereignty. Accept your spouse for who they are and, and all their weaknesses recognize that they're not only chosen by God for you but they're actually designed and crafted by God for you. And if you have a spouse who tends to ignore you that's not an accident that is something God has chosen because he wants to do something in you and um, and if you have a ch- a spouse who's um, you know has an anger issue, it's the same thing. Now, I don't mean to make light of the way that husbands and wives might and do sin against each other, and we're going to get to that. But and and you know that it certainly can be a serious thing, and and it needs to be addressed. But that doesn't erase this truth. That we recognize, even when we're being sinned against, that God is sovereign over it. That he could change our spouse like this. He will. If they're sincere Christians, he will change each of us the moment we die. won't Won't he take our sin away? He could do that now if he wanted. But he doesn't. And part of the reason is because he's got a purpose for that. God, you know, I, I've I've come to believe very firmly that God could have given us each a spouse that was much easier than the spouse He gave us, and um, you know, His but His purpose isn't our ease in life. He gave us the spouse He gave us because. He has a good purpose for them. Um, He wants both of us to grow. Not only the other person to grow out of their sin, but in the process for us to grow out of ours. Um, Now, sometimes God changes people radically in a short period of time. Other times, most of the time, there's a lot of small steps over a long period of time. And that means... That marriage requires patience. Um, You know, a lot of married couples, they haven't really seen very much depth of their spouse's sin when they get married. And most couples that I marry, I'm, you know, I just wonder how they're going to do because they just seem so, you know glassy eyed about their, you know, and and madly in love that they're not really alert to what they're getting into. Um but but uh you see your you know, when time ta- when time comes you see your spouse's sin and it's like they're not the way they should be. Well, of course they're not. They're sinners. Just like you're not the way you're supposed to be, that's not a surprise. Um, and yet it still happens. you know we we still get panicky and angry when we're sinned against, as if you know this is some thing that we didn't expect, and what we what, what do we do in those cases when we lose sight of the Lord we we pull out the weapons. You know, God gives us weapons of warfare. They're spiritual weapons, not weapons of the flesh. The weapons of the flesh go from, you know, guns and fists on one side to, you know, bitter words and insults and complaints and nagging on the other side. But they're all weapons of the flesh. And those are the things that we pull out when we are shocked about our spouse's sin. And when we, because at that moment their sin is the big thing in the room instead of our, of, instead of our Redeemer. Now this doesn't mean that you don't confront your spouse's sin. Just because you accept the sovereignty of God you accept that is good as from him, that doesn't mean that you just live with your spouse's sin. Now, there are sins that you live with, that you just live with. You know, um, let love cover a multitude of sins. And all of us ought to be able to overlook many sins in our spouses. And if you can't overlook sins in your spouse, then... That's a little litmus test that there's something wrong. But there are sins that demand to be dealt with. That is, there's sins that that uh, it would be unloving to not confront. If if you, um you know, if there's a person, and this is one of the big things about the Me Too movement. For instance, um, so many people get sinned against, abused, but they just can't do anything about it. And so they're quiet. And what happens? The next person gets abused, and the next person gets abused. And the next person gets abused. Love demands that we do something in the case like that. We can't just be quiet and let it happen to others. Even if it does ruin our lives in a lot of ways. Even if it does put our names into the headlines in a way that, that is embarrassing. Yet you've got to do it because love demands it. So there's a... There's a certain kind of sin that has to be dealt with. Now, in any kind of a healthy marriage, both spouses give permission to their spouse to tell them what they need to hear. Now, there's a time when one of the spouses is in such rebellion against the Lord that they make it clear, I don't want to hear it from you anymore. Don't tell me this. First Peter 3 talks to women who are in that situation, married husbands who are, who are living like that. It says, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So, <clears throat> when your spouse makes it, and and uh, here it's talking the wife to the husband, but it goes on to do the op to to talk to the husband in a similar situation. Um, so there's a time to not confront it, to stop speaking, and just to live a life that that exemplifies Christ, to remind them of Christ in hopes that it will yield repentance. But that's not the rule. The rule ought to be that the person is ready and willing to hear what you have to say. Now, of course, the Bible gives us indications about how to approach it. You don't approach it in anger. You approach it in love, you know, in humility. Galatians 6, 1, Matthew 18, 15 to 17. You don't bring it up to others, you bring it up to your spouse individually. You go to them humbly, keeping in mind your own sin. And I might add, you do it with gratitude. Um, you you don't you know, the sin that you're focusing on isn't the whole story. There's all other things, kinds of other things, and some of them aren't bad things. So you go with gratitude, affirming that which is good, but also being willing to confront that which is bad. First Peter 3, the passage I just read, I just read the first few verses. It goes on to say something. And, you know, I think a lot of people are very familiar with this passage. Um, But it goes on to say something that I think a lot of people aren't familiar with. Let me read uh, what it says later on about, just a few verses later, continuing talking to the women about how to approach their husbands. It says, um, it uses Sarah as an example to wives, and how Sarah called Abraham, Lord. And then it says, And you are her children, if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. So that just seems to be so out of place there. It just is finished talking about how you should be respectful, submissive, to your husbands. And then it ends by saying, you should not fear anything that is frightening. Now, I think most of us, we have a picture in our minds of the submissive wife who's subjecting herself to the, her husband, and she is afraid. <laughs> she is choosing to fear her husband, and, and uh And I think in reality, there's an awful lot of submission that goes on in marriage that really is just fear. But that's exactly the opposite of what the Bible is talking about. God doesn't want wives to be afraid of their husbands. That doesn't mean their husbands aren't dangerous. A husband might be dangerous, physically dangerous, still, God does not want the wife to be afraid of her husband. And um, because if she, as soon as you're afraid of someone, you cannot love them. You cannot do them good. Now, you may need to, I mean, you know, in an abusive situation, I have no problem at all with a wife calling 911 and turning her husband over to the police, or vice versa, if it's if it's the other way around. Um, but that's not out of fear, that's out of love, because that's what he needs. And I don't mean that that there's no importance on self-protection. That's Part of can be part of love too, for yourself and others. But it's not out of fear. Um, and so, when we, it, it's it's appropriate to confront, it's appropriate to correct, it's appropriate to speak into people's lives. If my wife hadn't um, spoken into my life. For now 50 years I'd be unbearable and, uh, and God has used her her voice many times a voice I did not welcome and didn't really enjoy hearing but God used her voice and sometimes repeatedly hundreds and hundreds of times saying something before I really listened And, but I never told her, don't speak to me. And, uh, and so it, that's the way relationships are. On the other hand, you know, God has used my voice in her life. Um, So, remembering that we have a redeemer means, among other things, it means that we're not afraid to deal with sin because we have a Redeemer who's dealt with sin. We have a Redeemer who's bigger than sin. And we expect that His grace and His power are sufficient to enable us to get through this struggle, this blindness. Whatever it is that, that whatever sin it is that is is clouding your your relationship at the moment um um in in our relationship this is uh, when we first got married i i i won't be brief because we're, our time is just about up but i thought she was crazy you know i thought clearly she's the one who needs fixing in this in this relationship, and um, it took me a long time to see that I had big problems. It would have been very easy for her to give up and feel like he's never going to change, and I'm temp- sure that she was many times tempted to think that. Um, but. God puts us together for reason. And her efforts to help me see things and my efforts to help her see, see things actually helped each of us to see our own things. And so, um, you know, on the other side of it, for me, it is so worth it. So, um, you know, I see... I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I... All the difficulty, all the struggle, all the pain, all the feelings of rejection are, are, are I see now as gold. That is, they, were, they are a blessing to me because they got me to see things about myself and they got me to see things about Christ that I so needed to see that I'm very happy that I was put through the process. you have anything to add before we go into groups or anything? I thought today that instead of breaking up into couples, we'd break up into men and women. And um, and first, I would uh, recommend going around and just taking a few, couple minutes, two or three minutes, and sort of summarizing who you are, because some of us don't know each other that well. And uh, not only who you are as a person, but who you are as a spouse. How long you've been married, some of your background, whatever you think is important for people, if you have only two or three minutes to tell people about yourself, what's important. Then if you finish that and you still have time, go around and talk about what we talked about this morning. And Was there something that hit you? Was there something that you feel like is important for you to to deal with or whatever. Okay? So why don't we uh, why don't we let the ladies have have this front circle here and we'll go back and then we'll go back and make you can rearrange it however you want, but you have the front and we'll have the back.